It's December 2nd, 2020. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we have Brett Tanaka from CSTA, which is the Computer Science Tech, uh, Teachers Association, the Hawaii chapter. And he's here to tell us about the upcoming Computer Science Education Week coming up. And of course, uh, then we'll be joined by Dr. Christina Higa from the Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center and Dr. Kaohi Akiona from Hope Services. And we'll talk about the uh, CARES funding and telehealth services on the Big Island. First up, I want to welcome Brett Tanaka. And again, of course, uh, he's an educational specialist over at the DOE and also uh, part of the Computer Science Teachers Association leadership. And he's here to tell us about this upcoming uh, Computer Science Education Week that's, that's coming up on the uh, 7th, uh, which is next week. And I want to welcome you, Brett, to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. Thank you for having me. So, Brett, every year, every year, uh, I guess there's a uh, Computer Science Education Week, and, and I know there's a, a, a bunch of uh, events that occur, and oftentimes it's 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 uh, in person and hands on, and and always uh, kind of a fun thing to have students get involved in. But I guess this year it's all going to be virtual, right? So maybe give me give me a little rundown on what's going to happen over the course of uh, you know next week from the seventh to the twelfth. Yeah, thank you. So basically this year um, we, we have a week long of local events. They're all virtual. Um, you can find them on our website, hawaii.csteachers.org. And uh, under the events, uh, there are different types of events from uh, the elementary and CS. Uh, we've got this art code, dance party, activity. Um, we have a panel session on next Thursday talking about different types of uh, computer science education um, issues. And uh, we have a variety of partners from Stemworks to Purple Maya to Microsoft that are all doing different types of uh, activities. And uh, this is also in conjunction with the National Computer Science Education Week, which is at cfedweek.org. And they are also um, running a series of, of, you know, webinar sessions. Again, they're all virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both activities, but they also are um, sort of like uh, informational sessions. Um, they also are partnering with different providers that individually are offering different types of um, real easy, you know, computer science activities. Uh, it can be both for students and the family and uh, and anyone really, and it's just to increase the awareness about computer science. So, so Brett, the um, the events that are taking place, I mean, they're kind of geared for different age groups. So, if a student, uh, I mean, it's kind of specific for whether it's it's uh, elementary or middle school or or high school, right? I mean, it's pretty well spelled out. Yes, uh, we're actually um, it's. Although it might be focused on K-12, to uh, we're approaching it more like a P-20. So uh, it can be um, literally anyone. Mm-hmm. I think right now with um, the focus has been trying to understand what does computer science education look like. And I think there's a lot of um, myths and misconceptions about what computer science education is. 
So that's where encouraging, you know, pretty much anyone who has an interest to find out more about it because, you know, computer science covers such a broad area. I mean, you can be a simple end user, which I think most of us are, we use digital devices, um, to someone who wants to pursue a career, you know, whether it's in uh, networking, programming, cybersecurity, uh, you know, social media. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, so Brett, I mean, you know, I know you've been involved with uh, computer science in education and getting adoption uh, within the DOE for the the various uh, schools picking up computer science as a curriculum. I mean, in in your opinion, how has that uh, adoption rate? In your opinion, how has that uh, uh, been taken by the the various schools? Yeah, I think it's. Um you know, it's been a, uh, a work in progress. I mean, we're relatively new in the sense we've only started this effort about three to four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've made great um, progress uh, since then. Um, and I think this year with the COVID um, and the transition to distance learning has really increased the awareness and need for these types of computer science-related skills. And so I think it's also important that uh, our students need to be prepared for this digital world that we're living in, um, you know, with so much information, uh, misinformation, uh, just access to different types of resources that are free and available online. So it's um, definitely, um, you know, the, the need for it is, um, has grown significantly we started this program. That's great. And so uh, tell us again, where can people find out more about the uh, Computer Science Education Week and, and perhaps even go and sign up? Yeah, so our local CSGA uh, Hawaii website is hawaii.csteachers.org and the national website is csedweek.org. Very good, very good. I'll put that up on our show notes. People can sign up for uh, Computer Science Education Week that's happening next week. Thanks, Brett, for joining us. Mahalo. And, of course, uh, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Dr. Christina Higa from PBRTC and Dr. Uh, Kaohi Akiona from Hope Services, and we'll talk about telehealth services delivered to homeless communities on the Big Island. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now I'm glad to welcome Dr. Christina Higa, co-director of the Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center, sometimes referred to as uh, PBTRC, and Dr. Kaohi Akiona, who oversees street medicine over at Hope Services. And, of course, we're here to talk about telehealth services and navigating the CARES Act funding process. I want to welcome you you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. Thanks for having us. And and it's great to have you both on. And, you know, I don't... uh, it's probably been quite a while since I've I've had the opportunity to talk about uh, telehealth and and I, I just think it's great that uh, we have you both on actually talking about something that's uh, 
kind of not only near and dear to my heart, but uh, the fact that it's actually getting implemented. And and what's also kind of cool is that you know now that we have everybody call in, I can have people call in from the neighbor islands, and you know, and and we can have this uh, conversation. So tell us a little bit about uh, Christina. Tell us first a little bit about uh, PB. RT, PBTRC, because I don't think we've actually have given you an opportunity to tell us about the Resource Center. Sure, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, it is PB Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center, so that's PBTRC. Sometimes it gets uh, a little difficult to remember. <laughs> some, some people tell me to say peanut butter to remember it's PB. <laughs> so PBTRC, um, we're actually based at the University of Hawaii. And we're one of 14 federally funded telehealth research centers in the country. So there's 14 of us. Um, ours is a regional center that supports the state of Hawaii as well as the Pacific Islands. And our mission is to work with healthcare providers. But nowadays, it's even more increasingly working with patients and families to advance telehealth. No, that's great. And, uh, you know, the, the intersection between what you do in in um PBTRC and what I do in broadband is, of course, uh, telehealth uh, certainly depends on a uh, good broadband connection. So <laughs> that's that's where I think uh, both of our work sort of intersects. Absolutely, yeah. I think the broadband, the broadband hui um, that that you put together really brings together a cross sector of people, multi sector education, healthcare, you know, government, and the thing that literally connects us is the broadband you know uh, like physically but also our interests so that that's been a very helpful organization to advance um you know all of our individual missions because it's hard to it's hard to solve the broadband problem you know so we have to work together to do that no exactly and and of course uh, you know the whole uh covid pandemic uh, has really brought to light some of the uh, inequities that exist out there so, uh, Dr. Akiona, tell us about Hope Services and, and the work that you do with street medicine. Hello, and thank you for having me. So, I'm actually on the Big Island. I'm based out of Hilo. And the street medicine program is actually, it's embedded within Hope. But I work actually as a private physician with Premier Medical Group Hawaii. And so, the, and we kind of like met, I met up with Jesse Ebersol, who I'm, I'm actually sitting in for him. Uh, today and kind of on behalf of the entire street medicine team. Um, but so it, when I, I've been on the Big Island for a long time, and I think with like speaking of broadband, the the problems with connectivity is kind of a lot more pronounced out in the rural of the rural areas and mm-hmm. so on our island in, in particular. And I think since I'm in primary care, we like we always kind of focus on all the disparities. It's a lot easier to... Um, kind of advocate for them when it's right in front of your face all the time. So, I mean, the differences between the south point of our island in, like, past Pahala and Ocean View into Milo'i'i, and then, you know, it's, it's a lot different than the challenges I had. I grew up in Wahiwa on Oahu, so um, it, we had been talking about services that were already there for outreach, and so housing is one of them, and we know that, you know, housing is a big part of medicine. So, you know, Simply providing a roof or a safe shelter over someone's head just in, in, in just increases their quality of life and the length of their life um, just really dramatically. And so it made a lot of sense for us in primary care to kind of work alongside outreach in housing and kind of uh, focus on the disparities in health and see what kind of primary care focused 
interventions we could collaborate on. And so one of the things was street medicine. So we, you know, we set up doing street missions. So we do outreach in the evenings. Um, Pre-COVID, we had already started to do this. Um, trying to, the, the idea back then was the hotspotters, right? So the people who are utilizing a big chunk of our healthcare resources, oftentimes, um, you know, maybe inappropriately, we can, if we can care for them in a different way, we could actually reduce their use of the ER. Um, paramedics, uh, so that's where Jesse came from. He was more, he was from the firefighters side. Mm-hmm. It was kind of trying to figure out how to utilize the resources a little bit better. And so this street medicine thing was from both of our passions, you know, just kind of taking care of people, and, but in also providing good care in appropriate places. And for some people, it's on the streets. So um, over a year ago, it's, it, we've, we started doing these missions, and the CARES Fund, when COVID happened, we understood that we couldn't stop. Um, you know, when you, if, if you look at the most vulnerable and the most marginalized, Providing care to them actually improves and helps keep the rest of us safe as well. And so that was, that's what we're here on behalf of right now is just kind of that, that effort to kind of really make sure that the CARES money um, got to the people who needed it. And, and one of it was through Hope Services and, and our street medicine mission. So that's, that's great. That's a great overview. And, and, and Christina, like how does, uh, I know that there are a lot of uh, uh, folks, you know, doing some form of, of, of health service delivery, and, and many of them are, uh, you know, incorporating telehealth. But how did you, I mean, how do you typically connect with uh, the folks like at Hope Services and, and Dr. Akiona from, from a resource center standpoint? Because I know you were very, very helpful and instrumental in identifying uh, this particular project as one that could qualify for CARES funding. But what what is a, your typical day like when you interact with all these um, projects that are going on out there? Right. Uh, that's a really good question. And I, I can answer it like I kind of in pre-pandemic and during pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because pre-pandemic, <laughs> we were really, our telehealth research center was more of trying to raise awareness, trying to figure out how to, what the, what the barriers are, you know, why we didn't have so much adoption. Mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic, we only had about 20 0.5% of providers in Hawaii utilizing telehealth. And today, we uh, probably everyone who has provided telehealth has to think about or is using telehealth in some sort, form, or fashion. You know, so anybody's giving health care during the stay-at-home orders and, and all of those measures, people have to really flip the way that they were thinking. And if there are any barriers in their own mind in terms of, you know, change in how they practice medicine, some of that went away because of need, Right. So in the beginning, our, typically we were, you know, we would do webinars and um, try to, you know, just talk to get stakeholders to figure out what the challenges are. In the very beginning, the first years of our research center, there were big challenges that were policy driven. So people didn't know if they could get paid for the telemedicine services. They weren't sure about malpractice coverage and, you know, licensure and things like that. So. Our work as a resource center in the beginning focused a lot on policy, mm-hmm. um, but before the pandemic, that was cleared for the state level. We had one of the most progressive laws for telehealth in the state, so it didn't matter where your patient was, rural, urban, home or not. Um, it didn't matter what kind of provider, you know, and the provider would get paid the same. We call it parity if their service is provided in person or by telehealth. But um, to, to answer your question, after the pandemic, you know, everybody was in a mad rush to 
rapidly convert to telehealth. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that the large health systems, you know, the Queens, the HPH, Kaiser, they did really well in training hundreds of their doctors and their networks and all of that. But it was our research center that had to, you know, kind of focus on those people, independent providers, FQHCs, they serve our most vulnerable populations, and programs like homeless uh, uh, service providers, you know, um, and, and we had to help them to quickly determine what kind of equipment, protocols, you know. Um, but you know what it really ended up to be is for Hope, um, they already had the idea of telehealth, as Dr. Akiona had mentioned. They were doing it already, so they were more primed than someone who never thought about, you know, let's incorporate telehealth. So they were far more ready. So when they came to us in the middle of the pandemic, it was very quick in terms of, you know, um, there's some easy solutions. And basically what we were at was they have a good plan. Now we need to find the funding for it. And that's kind of, they basically, you know, it was kind of a, a network of people introducing us. And then within the week of getting in touch with Jesse and kind of hearing the, again, kind of where they were, the current plans for telehealth, I, I think there was a proposal that was put out like a couple weeks after that. That one wasn't funded. It was a CARES, Hawaii CARES County um, proposal. That one wasn't funded, um, you know, and so it was a proposal sitting there that was a good proposal that wasn't funded. And so the opportunity came again to resubmit it um, through the broadband hui when there's kind of a call for proposals. That's when um, we resubmitted it, refined it a bit, and then resubmitted it at that point, which it was successful. And and Christina, you know, uh, when you when you refer to telehealth, uh, is there a is there a baseline uh, in terms of let's say equipment that uh, you would need to have in order to deliver a telehealth service? Is it is basic is it basically a telephone or is it is it more than that? Okay, that's that's a good question and a little a little tricky question. Um, also, in our pandemic uh, period right now, because prior to pandemic, telephone. Uh, delivery of care over telephone was not reimbursable, was not, you know, considered and not defined. It's not defined in our state law as telehealth. But with some of the waivers, there's some reimbursement so providers can get paid for delivering care over telephone. And sometimes that's the only way right now um, to some of our populations, right, to, to be able to deliver, deliver care. But typically, and Dr. Akiona can jump in here, but I think typically the minimum um, besides this telephone would be, you know, the patient having some kind of smartphone or device that has um, with video conferencing. Mm -hmm. But I want to also say it's not always just the patient to provider when you think of telehealth. A lot of people think of that, right? Your video conference between you and your doctor. But telehealth is also provider to provider. And we find that really useful as well. Um, maybe, you know, uh, Dr. Akiona is... Um, out in the street, and she comes across a very, very unique case um, that seems a specialist. She may be the one to actually talk to the specialist over the video conference and navigate through that instead of that specialist remote, you know, right. serving and directly providing service to the patient. So there's different models of telehealth. No, no, that's good. And 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 uh, Dr. Akiona, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the the telehealth service that uh, you're develop, uh, delivering to some of the homeless uh, communities uh, on the Big Island. But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Christina Higa from PBRTC and 
Oh, I got that wrong. PBTRC and Dr. Akiona from Hope Services. And of course, we're talking to talking about telehealth services. Uh, this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Christina Higa from uh, the Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center, or PBTRC, and Dr. Kaohi Akiona, who oversees the street medicine program over at Hope Services. And we're talking about deli- delivering telehealth services to homeless communities on the Big Island. Of course, right before the break, we were kind of talking about the uh, the baseline uh, equipment that is required to deliver telehealth services. And and uh, Christina, you brought up a good point, and it's not necessarily between the uh, patient and provider, but it could be, you know, the 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 doctor and another doctor, and and maybe uh, Dr. Akiona, uh, maybe describe a little bit about what would, you know, prior to let's say getting some CARES money to to uh, uh, buy the serv- uh, buy the uh, the equipment, the hardware, uh, what would you have what would you have envisioned in terms of uh, uh, going out and supporting, serving the uh, homeless communities? I mean, what would you be doing typically if you did not have the equipment? Um, okay, so actually, I mean, since May of 2019, we've been doing about, I, I think it's been more than 80 weekly missions, and we actually did already have some tele tele capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky that, one, I was building a practice um, where I could be a little bit more um, proactive about tele um, and then, two, I, I joined a practice that is also proactive about tele. And so I think one of the big things for us is um, if I couldn't physically be there, you know, as a physician, so I'm a family physician, I've delivered babies, and I, you know, from it, basically we're from cradle to the grave. We take care of everybody. You know, women's health, we've done, we were able to do a lot of things, which is very useful, but sometimes I couldn't be on the streets. And so what would happen is, um, like, the paramedic or the RN can call me. They would, you know, video conference me. Um, and, we, and I could be in multiple locations um, over the course of the night, right? So we could have multiple teams kind of doing things, um, and then they just kind of consult with me that way. So that's what we had been using it for before. I think now with the capabilities um, that this this money brings, we were able to uh, get iPads and get actual, like, hardware that we can use at each of the shelters. And so, you know, while what we were doing was really good for that you know, the evening mission, we're thinking about all the other hours and all the other locations that we couldn't necessarily serve every single day. Um, And so, like, you know, as a provider and and as a part of a team, we're able to provide the somebody who can answer the phone. But now we are able to put actual, you know, phone or tele capabilities in the shelter themselves and provide them a lot more backup and a lot more um, access um, to us. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that was that's the biggest thing is that, you know, we've been doing COVID testing. We've been doing COVID surveillance since April. And since June, we've done 10 rounds in all 14 shelters island-wide, so in both sides of the island. And we've been able to identify the positives early and really manage isolation and quarantine. But sometimes, like, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, like one of the monitors might have a question. So now they'll be able to actually, you know, connect with us mm-hmm. at any time rather than just waiting. Oh, you know what? Let's just wait until Wednesday night. Like, no, that's okay. So I think this expands the access 
that, you know, we, we've already, that, that we've envisioned this whole time. It just kind of made it more of a reality. And, and Dr. Akiona, you, you kind of said something that uh, uh, kind of triggered my, my uh, interest in the fact that there's, there's uh, doctors that get together and they actually specialize in delivering uh, telehealth services. I mean, is that, I mean, and, you know, maybe some doctors are just used to having patients come in, but your, your practice and the, and the, uh, the service that you've uh, joined is kind of specializes in, in telehealth. Well, they were a little bit more proactive because mm-hmm. if you, I think, um, you know, with Christina, when she was talking earlier, some of the barriers were in, were in the minds of the providers themselves. Right. And so it was almost how, like she often has found herself having to kind of, you know, just reassure the provider themselves. Like, no, no, this is a possibility. You will get paid. And so, and, you know, I think there, there is, there's real, there is, in some cases, you know, the payment plans are, are am I going to get paid? Am I going to, you know, can I get sued for this? Those are real concerns. But um, early on, I had linked up with University of Arizona, and they have like an entire um, division just dedicated to helping people get their teleservices up and running. And that was actually how I ended up getting linked over to Christina because there's just you know there's a network of people who are forward thinking and trying to think what are ways that we can improve access to care, knowing that our resources are pretty limited. We have to be kind of creative about how we stretch it. And we don't want to sacrifice on quality, and we don't want to sacrifice on safety, but we want to be able to provide. You know, just because you live in Kau doesn't mean that you should have a different, you know, mm-hmm. different kind of health care. So I think that was the big thing was that approach, right, the mindset that, like, let's just try to figure this out. And that's, like, so it was University of Arizona, and then they, they're like, you got to speak with Christina. And then Christina linked me up with several, with like a bunch of other physicians, like, um, Dr. A.J. Bott, who's a wound specialist with, um, you know, with the OBs over at, um, oh, shucks, UH, uh, the, the UH practices. And they're like, you know, all of the little things that we're missing on the Big Island, mm-hmm. high-risk OB, you know, um, endocrinology, those kind of things that these are in, in non-COVID times are things that we'd like to try and, uh, you know, sort of bring to the island. And although we like to bring an actual person, that's often not the reality, right? So, I mean, are, what are the other ways we can do it? And so that telehealth gives us one really good, I don't say substitution, but it's one good option yeah, for, um, yeah. you know, in-person care. And, and uh, Christina, you know, uh, we've only got maybe about a, a minute or so, but uh, you know, we'll, tell us a little bit about navigating the CARES Act funding. Okay, we only got a minute, and I'm not an expert on <laughs> CARES Act, but there's a, there's a, there's different pots of funding for different things. It's sometimes really difficult to navigate that, but it's very strict. You know, the government is going to get audited, so they want to make sure that it's, you're following all the rules. And so there's restrictions, and the money is right now, we're saying, needs to be funded and expended and used up by December 30th, right? Right. So that was really, really difficult to navigate, and... Um, you know, the, the, you know, you hear people saying there's so much money left over, but there's there's plans for it that we're all not also privy to as well. So it's really difficult to, that's a difficult question to answer in less than a minute. Sorry for it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it's good that we have a time limit because I know it's a complex question. And maybe Christina, uh, Christina, I mean, share with us uh, uh, the website that people can go to find out more about the uh, uh, PBTRC. Thank you very much. It's www pbtrc.org. And before I turn it back to you, Bert, I just wanted to say as we're celebrating our heroes during this pandemic, we really need to say mahalo to 
Dr. Akiona, because she does some tireless work, man, out there, and she just, we just really need to mahalo her. So thank you, Dr. Akiona. Well, uh, mahalo, Dr. Akiona, and of course, uh, Christina Higa. And Christina Higa is the co-director over at the Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center, and Dr. Akiona is uh, oversees street medicine and a program. It's a program over at Hope Services, and I'll put the link up uh, on our show notes later on tonight. And I want to thank you both for joining us, and thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about One Oahu and the pop-up COVID surge testing. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome. And we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.